Hey, my friends, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to this episode of Real Live Talk. Appreciate you guys so much for taking the time to check out this episode. If it blesses you, encourages you, challenges you, uh, makes you think anything like that, if you would consider subscribing, sharing, or leaving a comment or a review on one of the podcast platforms or on the Facebook page, uh, that would be amazing. So thank you all so much in advance for that. For this episode, I am welcoming back to the podcast a good friend of mine, Britt Eaton. Britt is a content strategist. She's an author. She's a speaker. She's a pursuer of the kingdom of God. Um, she's an advocate for women in ministry and uh, just all around awesome person. We've talked about her book that she co-authored with George A. Wood called The Uncovery. And I want to encourage you once again to uh, go ahead and check out that book if you have not done so already. It's available on Amazon, uh, but also check out uh, Britt's website, BrittEaton.com, to check out other resources that she has available as well. In this conversation, we are diving into the topic of deconstruction. Deconstruction is kind of this movement. You've probably heard that word uh, before. Deconstruction is kind of this, this movement, if you want to call it that, within uh, Christianity, where people uh, basically they start to unpack uh, what they believe about their faith. And for many people, deconstruction has become a very negative thing. It's become a very destructive thing where it's just been this idea of just kind of dis not disseminating, that's the wrong word, um, undoing basically everything that they've learned, what they've believed, what they've been taught. And basically what ends up happening to a lot of Christians that go through this deconstruction process is that they end up walking away from their faith. Uh, a lot of people also uh, end up walking into something, some form of progressive Christianity, which in my opinion uh, is not real Christianity. <laughs> but anyway, uh, a lot of people end up kind of walking away from their faith or aspects of their faith. And the idea of deconstruction if we think about it the wrong way or if we don't do it the right way, it can actually be uh, pretty destructive. But actually, in this conversation, we're not actually talking about it in a, in a super negative way. Uh, we're actually talking a lot about giving grace to people and being patient with people that are in that process of maybe questioning what they believe or why they believe what they believe, which is actually really important. I think it's really important for us to learn how to think critically about our faith and subjects of our faith and what we believe, why we believe it. Because if we don't ever understand why we believe what we believe, we just kind of believe it because it's what we've always believed. Then when we end up hearing competing philosophies or, you know, something else, we can end up being shaken in our faith in ways that we would have never thought possible. I actually share in the episode a little bit because this is a pre-recorded episode. I share a little bit in the episode about um, how even, you know, into my my ministry years after I had thought that I had, you know, become a mature Christian <laughs> or something like that, where uh, I found myself asking questions. Well, how do I know that this is real? How can I really accept that that, um, you know, the Bible is as true and as accurate as I, I've learn that it is or as that I think that it is. And where these questions start coming, sometimes they come out of nowhere. And maybe you've experienced that where, you know, you thought you were very, very solid in your faith for a very, you know, maybe for a number of years, you felt like you were very, very solid. You knew exactly what you believed. And then all of a sudden these questions come into your head. And it could be that sometimes these questions, questioning comes in and it's nothing more than an attack of the enemy. And you have authority over that. You can take authority over that. But sometimes questioning really does come in because 
for one reason or another, maybe we never actually learned how to think critically and to actually examine, well, why do I believe this? And I, I think that uh, that deconstructing faith or and that's a pretty broad statement, but when we, you know, kind of deconstruct or we start to unpack the reasons behind our belief system, why we believe what we believe that ultimately at the end of the day, it should leave us in a place where we're we're stronger and we're more equipped to um, not argue with people, but to uh, defend our faith or to just stand firm when trials come, when attacks come. There's all different reasons why somebody might go into this process of deconstructing uh, what they believe about God or about the Bible or about being part of a church or something like that. And uh, one of the things that we get into in the episode is that a lot of it often comes down to mistakes that man has made or mistakes that institutions have made. And a lot of times it's not it's not an attack or an assault on God. It's the result of having been treated wrongly or having been experienced uh, spiritual or emotional abuse or something like that, or the result of witnessing things happen um, behind the closed doors of a church or even out in the open in a church setting and recognizing, I don't think I can uh, be a part of this any longer because it, it's, it doesn't seem right. And so we do talk uh, through some of those different issues in this episode and ultimately about um, having that, that compassion um, and empathy and support for people that are in that process where maybe they're questioning aspects of their faith and not shunning somebody or rejecting somebody or saying, you're not in our club anymore. You're not in our camp anymore. You're no longer with us anymore, which might sound, that might sound silly to you, but I've seen it happen too many times. And uh, that's, I, I don't think that's how Jesus would have us respond to people that have honest questions and that are being open and vulnerable about how they feel, what they think, what they believe, or the uncertainty of those things. And so anyway, I think that, um, uh, well, anyway, I won't say anything else. I appreciate you for being here and uh, bless you guys as you listen. Britt, so good to see you. Appreciate you for joining me again uh, for another episode. And I'm, I'm pumped about our, our conversation. It was nice to kind of reconnect with you again. I think it was just last week. We talked for a little bit and uh, just caught up and stuff like that. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today. I, j- just, uh, just, just real quick, I was just asking you about this right before we hit the record button. But uh, just uh, we, we've got some exciting things coming up in the future for the Uncovery. And so can you just talk a little bit about what's going on, give a little bit of an update? Of course. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me back on. I love having conversations with you. This is just going to be such a good time. But yeah, thanks for checking in on all things uh, with the Uncovery, our book that came out last year. Things have been going awesome. The momentum is really growing in the recovery space to encourage Christians to really rethink the way we've been doing recovery. We've been doing it about the same for the last hundred years. And guess what, y'all? It's not working. So we're looking at ways to faithfully kind of deconstruct that and reconstruct it (laughs) through a Jesus centered lens. The exciting update is that in addition to the book we have out, The Uncovery, uh, which is available on Amazon right now, 
we have a devotional book that is a companion resource that is coming out at the end of this year. Um, it's a 365-day devotional with concepts from the Uncovery that are coming out. So we cannot wait to get that into your hands. It's going to be pure gold for anyone who needs to love and lead people on a recovery journey or even for people who are walking out their own. So can't wait to get that out for you. We'll, we'll give you more info when it comes. <laughs> That's so cool. And that is a 365-day Yes. Devotional like last year journey, was like... it last year was officially stressful because <laughs> I took on this project saying, Oh yeah, I'll write a year long devotional. What? They're 365 days in a year. I can write 365 mm -hmm. entries. Whoa. <laughs> that was a lot. Mm -hmm. So George and I collaborating together, George A. Wood, my co-author, just working together to get all those devotions done was nothing short of a miracle. But even reading back through them now, you know, George and I have been doing daily reels on Facebook, just sharing some of the concepts within that devotional. And it is so cool to look back and see how God was co-creating with us and just seeing the new ways that he's wanting to say things. So we're so excited to get those messages out to y'all. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. I, I, I felt like uh, a few years ago, I felt like the Lord put on my heart uh, a, uh, devo a, a devotional that did that, a 365 day kind of a thing. And I, I started to just kind of take, take some notes and just kind of write, write some things down that, that I could mm -hmm. kind of do with it. And I pretty quickly like said, I think this is for the future. I don't think this is for right now. <laughs> it is so it's, hard. It's, it is no joke. It is no joke to do something like that. It really is. Well, it does help for any aspiring authors out there when you start with strategy, when you know where you're going for the whole year. So when your only job is to sit down for the day and write, it is so helpful. But if you sit and try to scramble and figure out what you're going to say each day, you'll lose momentum quickly. So yeah, it's fun. I get to coach authors through that kind of thing all the time. It's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Just focus on yeah. strategy. <laughs> yeah, you know what? And and uh, and and I really um, we I want to I want to dive into our topic. But as you as you brought that mm -hmm. up, I, I feel like this is something that we haven't really talked a whole lot about is, mm -hmm. I, and I'm just curious about uh, what is your writing process like for oh, you yeah. personally? So I Anyone that I coach through authoring or anybody that co-authors a book with me or watches my process at all, they know that I start with strategy. And typically I will um, follow a framework that with that, whatever we have to say or sell, we have to make the reader the hero of the journey in our book. We need to know that mm. Nobody really cares about us and about our hero yes. journey and how great we are, but they want to read a book and know that that book is going to solve a very specific problem that they are facing, know some specific actionable things that we can call them to action with in that book, especially nonfiction books. And then at the end, we want them to walk through a form of transformation when they receive our message. It's one thing to read a book and be like, oh yeah, that was pretty good. It's another thing to read a book and say, that changed my life. And in order to do that, I do a deep, deep audience exploration in my books to find out, you know, what is it that people are really needing right now? What's the pain point and what are the opportunities to explore moving forward in that? So as an example, with the Uncovery, there are a lot of books out there right now on recovery and 12-stepping and mental health and all this kind of stuff, especially in a post-pandemic environment. But when we were writing this book, we knew the people who were really struggling to move the needle 
were recovery leadership members, people who had been maybe leading an AA group for 15 or 20 years, or people who had been walking out a years long recovery journey of their own, and they felt stuck, kind of like a lot of Christians feel like they're a little bit stuck mm. in the church and they're starting to deconstruct some things that aren't working anymore. The same thing is happening when we're calling about reform in the recovery space. We need to take a hard look at what is working, what's not working, and what more God, what more God might have us do. In order to do that, we start with a strategy that says, what's the primary message we're trying to communicate mm. to somebody? We find the central theme within that book and Everything we write, every chapter, every paragraph, every sentence needs to align with the central theme of the book. And the central theme of the book of the uncovery is that recovery is for everyone. <laughs> and if you, if that statement bothers you, recovery is probably for you too. <laughs> Absolutely. It really is for everyone. So thinking about that strategy, our, our audience exploration turns into a very detailed outline that we follow pretty much to the letter. I typically follow my outlines pretty clearly, giving it room for all, all strategies shift and change a little bit, but I always sure. know how to show up. I know how to write. And most importantly, I love to co-create with the Holy Spirit. So even if you have some of the best laid plans, often the message you think you're starting out with from in my, in my case, God often has more to reveal about that message in the writing process. So I stay yeah. very sensitive to Holy Spirit. I allow God to, I allow God to say what he wants to say. And occasionally he will ask me to like, in the writing world, they call it like kill your babies, like the thing that you love, but isn't really what God is trying to say. <laughs> you have to decide what content ends up on the cutting room floor. And typically what you end up with in that manuscript is something that is truly God breathed. And you can be really proud to take forward and promote because it's not really about promoting yourself. It's about promoting what God wants to say. So yeah, got to start with That's strategy. <laughs> That's so good. And and I remember when I was working on my 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 latest book project, you gave me some really good uh pointers on how to kind of consolidate some of those things so that throughout the throughout the book, throughout the different chapters and the different sections and everything that it was kind of all coming back to that that focal point of, you know, what do I want the the reader to understand? you know, about this, like, what is the central theme for the book as a whole? And then what is the the theme that this chapter in particular is trying to hit and kind of like mm -hmm. narrowing that focus. And, and that was really, really helpful. And I know the reason I ask this question, Britt, is because like, I know there's a lot of people out there that want to, that have a book in them. And it, we might be talking to, and, and even if it's a, whether it's a book or if it's something else, if it's something that you want to create, but I do think there's a lot of people out there that have something that they want to create. And it seems like mm -hmm. such an insurmountable task sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for like, how do we, how do we make this practical to say, like, how do I actually just go out there and get started and knowing what it is, like what, what you're saying there is such a valuable um, piece of advice and encouragement to say, you know, start from that place of strategy. And then like, what would you say to somebody who maybe is like, maybe they've, they've got a desire to write, or they've got something like that in them, they know it's in them, but maybe they procrastinated on it. Because like, I know for me, Brit, and, and I don't know if everyone else is like this or not, but I know for me, at least it's like, I will procrastinate forever until I can put my finger on like, how do I actually get started? If I'm just looking at something and it seems like this big kind of convoluted mess of like, this just seems 
like so much, you know, if it's, if it seems overwhelming, I'll, I'll probably just keep procrastinating. And so part of that, I think is just getting past <laughs> it in your mind. But I think a lot of it from a practical standpoint is what do I do now? What's, what's something that I could do so that this can actually uh, begin to take shape. So I don't know, like what, what's just something that you would uh, maybe recommend to somebody who has something like that in them, they're having trouble getting it out on paper or out into the world as far as mm -hmm. maybe just like one or two first steps that they can take to actually get the process underway where it doesn't feel so overwhelming. Yeah. Well, it's a big question. And I will tell you when I'm coaching people, I will teach them mindset over method every time. And the reason that I say that is because different writers work differently. There are some people who are uniquely gifted who can just sit down to a blank screen, start writing, and it all just makes sense. Like it all just comes together. Yeah. And I don't know if that's Holy Spirit leader or whatever else. Yeah. Sometimes people can just do that. Other people, it requires a meticulous strategic approach to make sure that that message is not only um, cohesive, but that it's receivable, that it's something legitimate that can be that can be um, digested by the reader. So if you show up and try to strive and just write and do this thing and finish this manuscript and write this book, you will burn out every time mm. if you do not have your mindset in the right place. So when I sit down with either aspiring authors who are looking for coaching or even people who are co-authoring books with me, things like this or bigger projects that I work on, I have a list of 20 questions that I will pretty much interview this person. I'll try to talk them out of writing a book. I'll say, if this is really a message that God put on your heart, I'm going to ask you these 20 really difficult questions. And at the end of this conversation, if you still want to write that book, you know this is of God. You know that this is something you have to do. So the final of those 20 questions, this is a little teaser I'm going to give you if anybody wants to ever do coaching with me. The final question I will ask you is, what will happen if you don't write this book? What will happen to you? What will happen to your family? What will happen to the ones you love and lead? And what will the lack of impact on the world be if you do not write this book? Wow. And if they don't have a good answer to that question, I won't work with them. <laughs> I'll say you're not ready. If this message is not burning in your heart to get out, wow. you will give up when you wow. sit down one day and you don't feel like writing. If it has to get out into the world, you, we're, God is going to light a fire under you and he's going to show you your pathway forward. But I'm telling you, mindset over method every time, stick to your why. Why are you really doing this? What is the impact that you know you were uniquely created to make? Then get out there and get that message done. That's how. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. That's heavy. Yeah. It is. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so if you want to write a book, hire Brit Eaton. <laughs> <laughs> or if you want me to talk you out of it, I <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's so good. Well, it's it's interesting. I think a couple times there you already, you mentioned uh, the word deconstruct or deconstruction. And yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's, when, when this goes out, I'm sure there's going to be a title on it. So people probably already know what we're going to talk about. But uh, but yeah, we wanted to spend some time talking. This was kind of our, our conversation that we had a few days ago, Britt. You and I were talking. Uh, a little bit about some things that brought us into this realm of talking about 
deconstruction. And, uh, and so we wanted to spend some time just kind of unpacking um, this idea of deconstruction. There's been this, this movement of deconstruction in Christianity, in the evangelical church, people deconstructing their faith. And so uh, if, we, if we can, um, because I, I think that you and I would both agree that there are aspects of deconstruction that, that can be very good and can be very helpful. There's also aspects of deconstruction that can be super destructive um, mm-hmm. over, over the long term. And so I want to unpack this. I mean, I, we, we all, everybody listening to this, um, many of you have probably wrestled with the idea of your faith. Um, many of you have, have maybe wrestled, if you're like me and you, and you grew up in the church, a lot of you were told what you were supposed to believe. You were actually maybe told what you do believe. <laughs> you know, if you grew up, like I, I grew up in a Christian household and everything. And so it's kind of like you you adapt however you grow up. I mean, most of our beliefs, if not all of our beliefs, to an extent, they're given to us, right? It's like we're perceiving things going on. We're, we're learning behavior. We're being taught things. The younger you are as you're learning things, the more you kind of soak those things up and they become part of your belief system. And then what happens to so many Brit is that once we get a little bit older and we start to hear more or maybe we're exposed a little bit more to competing philosophies uh, outside of the confines of the, the protective system or structure that we grew up in, whether we're talking about Christianity or something else entirely, it's like if we don't actually know why we believe what we believe, we haven't learned how to think critically about those things, then I think it becomes very, very easy to be kind of shaken in, uh, in what you believe. And so there's aspects of this idea of deconstruction that I think are, are actually important for a lot of people to, um, to, to go through in terms of learning how to think critically about why they believe what they believe. But anyway, before we get into all that, would you maybe just uh, kind of start off by sharing a little bit about, or yeah, just, just maybe in, um, we don't have to be super technical with this. We, mm-hmm. you know, but just maybe in your, in, in your own words, let's talk a little bit about what is deconstruction in the first place. Mm. <laughs> There's no universal I mean, <laughs> definition yeah. for it. So if we're looking for that, you're we're gonna be hard pressed to come up with the answer. The word deconstruction in a modern context and in a faith context means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. And right now it's an extremely polarizing conversation because the people who are deconstructing very much want to do so. And those who see deconstruction as a threat to Christianity itself very much want to put the kibosh on everything and encourage no one to deconstruct. So there's got to be a happy, beautiful place in the middle that we can meet in order to have a safe place to rethink and re-examine our belief systems. It is something that's really important to do. Notice I'm not saying walk away from your faith and then come back if you decide you still believe in it. But we definitely need to pause. Anytime there's there's a pause in our spirit or a dissonance in our reality, it is perfectly okay for us to pause and ask ourselves, why do I believe what I believe about that? Where did that come from? Did it come from tradition? Did it come from my upbringing? Did it come from denominational teaching? Did it come from a pastor or a mentor that I liked one time? Or did it come from the word of God? But here's where it gets really complicated. Lots of people read the word of God and lots of people interpret it differently. And oftentimes the lens through which we interpret the word will become our new source of truth. 
that's complicated mm-hmm. because I believe the mm-hmm. word of God to be inerrant. Like I will fight you on that. <laughs> I think it is inerrant. I think it is perfect and God breathed and completely inspired. But us as broken vessels and just human beings reading it, we are bound to misinterpret some things now and then because of what's happening around us culturally. Now, this has been happening for hundreds, if not thousands of years, probably since like right after the resurrection and people are trying to navigate the early church. It was really simple back then. <laughs> we had this simple gospel faith that we could follow. But now looking at the way that the church has existed within the context of culture, we're trying to be in the world while not being of it, if you will. We That's don't right. want to, mm-hmm. you know, completely isolate ourselves like a cult. <laughs> but we definitely are trying to figure out what does it look like to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a world that is constantly telling us that what is good is evil and what is evil is good. We're mm-hmm. looking at this right now, looking at the world, looking at a pretty much postmodern relativistic society that says whatever works for you works for you your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and as much as i love the concept of like how about you run your railroad and i'll run mine i love that from a political standpoint i love it in lots of different arenas there has to be such a thing as universal truth it does need Mm -hmm. to exist so when we examine some of these really difficult pieces of the day, and I won't go through a laundry list of all the problems we need to solve, but when the church comes up against itself or the church comes up against society, those of us who are paying attention might actually step back and say, why is it that I believe what I believe about something like mm. immigration or homosexuality or transgenderism or insert topic of the day in the church? Not what do I believe about it, why do I believe what That's I believe right. about it? Where am I pulling from for my source of truth? And when we don't know the answer to that question, oftentimes this is an opportunity for us to deconstruct, not to throw out our faith or say, I'm, I'm quitting Christianity for a while because I'm ticked at my pastor. No, that's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But to pause and say, where have my core beliefs been shaped And if anyone or anything, any power or principality beyond the word of God has shaped that, is there a place where I need to re-examine, relearn, and potentially repent and step in and do things differently? This is a process that honestly, it was happening before the pandemic happened, but once the world shut down, once we not only couldn't meet in person anymore, we couldn't even gather to worship together anymore. We're like, trying to have church services on Zoom. And for those of us who are still doing it and rocking it, that's awesome. But when we couldn't come together to worship anymore, and then finally, you know, I want to say post-pandemic, I know it's still going on, but once the doors open back up, many Christians who are devout believers and who are not giving up on Jesus have looked at the institution of the church and said, I don't know that I missed it. I don't know that I need to go back because whatever that was now doesn't feel right. It's not sitting right in my spirit. Something about it feels too legalistic, like too much of a religious system. If we know anything about Jesus and what he did while he walked throughout the earth is he wasn't known for table flipping, but man, was he known for challenging the religious establishment in ways that made them incredibly uncomfortable. So I'm certainly not saying we need to walk around in a constant state of rebellion, but we do need to create safe places, ideally within the context of our churches, 
or we can ask hard questions. We can explore yes. deeply into our shared beliefs and say, why is it that we do believe this? And in doing that, that process of deconstruction ideally is meant to bring about healthy reconstruction. This happened, this has happened before. Like think about the abolition movement with, with slavery. There was a time the church once said that slavery was a good thing, that it was God ordained. We pretty much had to deconstruct and repent from that pretty hardcore, didn't we? Because we got our religion mm. mixed up with politics. So now in a day where everything is divisive, everything is political, everyone's mad at everyone else, and we're just so quick to dismiss and unfriend people in real life if they don't check all of our boxes, this is an opportunity for us to make absolutely sure we know why we believe what we believe and that we're willing to die for it. Do we really believe mm -hmm. it that much? And in the process to also learn what does it look like to have you know, conviction? What does it look like to stand firm in your conviction, but also have compassion in your conviction for people who either A, don't agree with you 100% or B, haven't gotten the same revelation from the Lord that you have yet. So hmm. I believe, you know, this deconstruction movement, it's its actually not something new. Like it, it's a movement. It's something that's right. happening right now in this season and time. But even the word deconstruction that we're talking about was a term like coined in the 1960s by, yes. uh, what was the guy's name? Ja Jacques Derrida, I think is how you say his name. And he was walking through these ideas in the middle yeah. of an existentialist movement where it was like postmodern. Yeah. He and wrote, so he wrote that book. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. The skepticism of truth. Mm -hmm. So as we're looking at these, these ideas, we want to find and walk a careful line of saying we not only need, we should be consistently checking our hearts, checking our guts to make sure we know why we believe what we believe. But even if we deconstruct and reconstruct a thought process and an idea to ideally have it better match with the word of God and with God's truth, even if we get there, what does it look like post-deconstruction to not then say anybody right. who hasn't come to the place that I am with my belief system is not only wrong, but they need to be corrected. This is a mm. big thing. And as much as, oh gosh, like, I'm going to get real with you in this conversation. We're going to get really real. In the midst of this deconstruction movement, there have been all of these sub subculture movements that have been happening, one of them being the ex-evangelical movement. People who grew up in the evangelical Christian church and granted yeah. over the last few years, we've been re-examining some things. And I'm saying that pretty lightly <laughs> because there have been some pretty heavy things that have been called into question within the evangelical church. That said, we don't want the goal of deconstruction to be, I am now excommunicating myself with this people group. That's completely opposite of what the word of God says. As we right. work on our own salvations in fear and trembling, and we look at our religious institutions and ask ourselves, honestly, are we listening and trying to discern what God is saying right now? Or are we clinging to old ideologies, theologies, or even just traditions that are not really what the word of God says and certainly not what the Holy Spirit is moving us to do right now. What would it look like to live in a world where those kinds of conversations didn't bring disunity, but unity, not just unity, but union to where we got to the point where what if denominationalism wasn't such a thing anymore? What if it wasn't us versus them anymore? What if we could all look at it and say, you know, based on the reality of what scripture teaches us, 
We are one with God, the creator of the universe, by the shed blood of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is something that I think most Christians believe, unless you're a Unitarian and that's a little different. <laughs> but based on this Trinitarian model, if we can look to these universal truths to focus on what unites us and to stand firm in that core, this gives us permission and safe spaces to say, you know, I grew up with this idea in my childhood and even in my adult life within the church. And I don't know where that ever came from. Can someone right. even help me find in scripture where God's talking about this? Can somebody help me understand why my church has this stance on this thing? The problem and the reason that the deconstruction movement is so big right now is because for many, many years, people were not given permission to ask questions. And so I believe the movement could be healthily harnessed as an opportunity to give people safe spaces to not, not deconstruct and destroy their faith, but deconstruct and then reconstruct their faith as if they had a watch that was broken. And they said, hmm, I wonder why my watch is broken. What if I took it back to part, uh, took it apart and put it back together again in its rightful way? In doing so, doing that through, you know, careful Holy Spirit discernment, I believe it will take us back to that simple gospel in a time where there was no distance, no separation between us and God or between God's people. There's an opportunity for us to get back to basics in this movement in a way that I think won't destroy the church. I think it will heal it and it will make it attractive to the world once again, yes. because we're seen as a safe space where these kinds of conversations are allowed. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, hundred percent. That that idea of like not being able to question things without being shunned or being ostracized or ostracized. I think I said that wrong. Uh, you know, whatever whatever it is, you know, like it's it, it's it's so important that we learn how to really examine what we believe and why we believe what we believe. And I think this is like, again, like this is where we get into, we get into trouble is when we don't allow people to ask questions because when we don't allow for questioning, you know, for, for me, for me, Britt, I, um, I mean, I grew up in church. I was always in church as long as I can remember. I mean, I was in church like every, you know, like four or five times a week. Like I was, I, I grew up that way mm -hmm. and I went to Bible college and I went into ministry after that. And I remember being in Bible college and there, I don't remember why I remember where I was. I remember the room I was in. I remember where I was sitting. I remember who was, who the instructor was. I don't remember what the topic of conversation was, but I remember them talking about people questioning their faith. And I remember thinking in my head as like a, you know, 19 or 20 year old Bible college student. I remember thinking in my head, like, that like oh man like i'm so solid in my faith there's no way that i'm ever gonna like question like if god is real if like and i remember having that 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 thinking that line of thinking in my head fast forward like years later in ministry and mm -hmm. i start questioning things and i start wondering and and, and uh, i don't i wouldn't say i went through like this major like deconstruction i never left the church I never left the ministry i never like did any of that um, but I do remember like at different times in, in my life as a quote unquote, like mature Christian, whatever that means, just wondering like, well, how do I like, how, how can we be sure that the Bible's accurate? 
how you know it, it was written by it was in, inspired by the holy spirit but written by men you know how can we be sure that this is <laughs> you're laughing at me <laughs> how can we be sure I love this that this is real you know and and like all these things like and and it's just so it's 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 silly to think no matter where you are in your walk with the lord no matter how long you've been doing this it's silly to think that those questions are meaningless or they're arbitrary or that they that they that they don't have any kind of a merit and so when we see somebody who's actually you know wrestling with their faith or wrestling with why they believe what they believe oh and let me tell you Britt, like in that i was afraid to tell anybody because i was already i was in ministry i'd been in ministry for years and so it's like I was afraid to have those open and honest conversations with with people for fear of being ostracized. Um, I don't know if you know. Um, do you know uh, uh, Michael Gunger? Oh yeah, he's a friend of ours. He's a friend of our community. Oh, is he? we okay, Michael. Yep, that's awesome. Yep. And I don't. Actually we don't know check the personally. same religious boxes. He's just wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I just but but I just remember. Like I remember, um, and this was probably 10, 11, 12 years. I don't know. It's, it's been a while. But I remember like, um, I, I mean, the Christian world went, went crazy over his, over his music in a, in a good way. Mm -hmm. And then he came out and said something about uh, not, not being sure or not believing that Noah was a real person, that it was more of an allegory or metaphor or something like that. And I don't remember all the details, but but I remember that. And then how quickly so many in the Christian world turned on him and they're treating him like this infidel all of a sudden. Like, you got to be careful of Gunger and their messages and you got to be. And it's like, hold on, hold on a sec, like Christians. And I remember back then being, I, I mean, if you can believe this, even less mature in my Christianity and my faith than I am now. But even then thinking, okay, Christians, if you are really actually concerned about what he believes, then maybe you should be compassionate toward him and pray for him instead of lamb blasting him and like treating him like he can't create anything good anymore because he has a belief that's different from yours. Meanwhile, believing that wh whether or not he believes that Noah was a real person or not is not keeping anybody in and out of hell yeah. or in and out of heaven. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's that kind of thing where I, I think that there's a lot of fear when it comes to questioning. I think the generation, um, you know, these uh, these younger generations today, I think they have less fear of questioning things than probably my generation did. But mm -hmm. I know that people in my generation are still out there questioning things. And it's like we've got to, as you said, create that safe space for people to be able to ask questions, explore things, unpack things. Again, not for the sake of tearing something down or finding you know, because we can go very far the other end and just look for excuses why we want to run away from our faith and just kind of mm -hmm. create a, a trend. You know, I think maybe we've got to guard against uh, the the trendiness of these movements mm -hmm. where we say like, oh, well, everybody's doing this. So let me jump on board with it as well. But at the same mm -hmm. time, like creating that safe space to to ask those questions, to have those conversations, which can be uh, difficult or tricky conversations to have sometimes. But without them, I think we're setting people up for failure and ultimately setting people up for, you know, abandoning their faith altogether. Mm. I think it's interesting how when people either step into or are placed into vocational ministry, the church then assumes they are operating in a place of total 
spiritual maturity, full on sanctification, and that they'll never question anything. They've just got it all figured out. These like 23 year old kids who are stepping into mm-hmm. ministry and yeah. trying to shepherd the flock of kids or become an associate pastor or someone like Michael becoming a worship artist that's out there in the world. You know, not everybody, even those of us who grew up in the church like you and me, we don't have all the answers to everything. And if we honestly show up and say that we do, we deceive ourselves. We are absolutely deceiving ourselves and deceiving the people around us. I believe there is such a thing as absolute truth. And let me tell you, in my discernment processes with the Lord, daily he convicts me of something that I've misunderstood about his character. Mm -hmm. Daily he will convict me of something that I've read a hundred times in his word, but it hits me fresh and new and straight through the heart one day, out out of the blue. Trusting the Holy Spirit's process with people is very important. Now, some of us are going to be bold, and some of us who carry very public (laughs) platforms, like a Michael Gunger, like a Jim Palmer, like a Rob Bell, like these like people who have been called all kinds of names in the midst of this deconstruction movement, when you have a public platform, it is very difficult to process through some of these natural questions that we Every other Christian seems to is supposed to have permission to, <laughs> but mm. it's really discipleship 101. And if we're walking, even with a giant like Rob Bell, who's saying, I'm not sure I believe in a literal hell. I think it's allegorical and this is maybe what it means. I don't know that I check all the boxes and agree with Rob on that, but he has written some mm-hmm. of the most brilliant theological teaching that I've read in my life. Same, mm. same thing with, you know, insert name like bill johnson one of the greatest teachers from bethel reading out in california i don't check every box every piece of his teaching but i think we as the church have lost our ability to what do do you call it chew the meat and spit out the bones if there's something in there they're like "Mm, i'm not sure i agree with that but i'm really interested in that other thing you were talking about we've lost the art of healthy debate we have lost the art of just listening to someone's questioning, to someone's line of questioning, to sharing their own experiences or their own cognitive dissonance with the gospel and practical reality. This is what mm. happens. And even when there's a there's a an author and a very famous guy on Facebook named Jim Palmer, who is he was a pastor of one of the largest evangelical churches in the country in the in the U.S. for years and years. And he not only walked away from the pastorate, but he's not even sure what he thinks about Christianity yet because of the mm. abuse that he experienced in the church abuse that very few people were willing to give him a safe space to process through to lean into and discern holy spirit's leading on that and it's not about trying to win back people like jim i mean he's going to do what he's going to do and he's going to have to walk out his own journey with the lord and sometimes you just have to let people do that but because we don't have safe spaces to say i'm not sure that i believe that just because i grew up with that I'm not sure that that's real. I mean, when I think about it, I grew up in environments where, you know, women didn't even have a voice. I couldn't have stepped on, (laughs) there were no podcasts, but I couldn't have stepped into an interview and had a conversation with you, a man who's not my husband in many church circles. Maybe if you would have my husband on, that would be fine. And I could be brought on as a guest with him. But understanding that all of that was cultural. All of that was something that was not biblical at all. When you look at how God empowered women, we need opportunities to look at something and say, why do we hold this tradition? 
Why is this important to us? And is it important because God says it's important or is it important because we've just always done it this way? And oftentimes what, what's really hard with a movement like deconstruction is even when we do it healthily, the problems will surface and they will point back to things in the world like misogyny and like high, hardcore patriarchy and things that get very political very fast and things that perpetuate systemic social issues, whether you want to make it political or not. The church largely ignored what happened with the pandemic. It was wild to me how secular organizations were reaching out to people who were stuck at home and struggling with their physical and mental health. Secular organizations were saying, it is okay to not be okay. You are not alone. We are here to walk you through this. The church was strangely silent during all of that. Mm. We didn't know how to process through it because our whole model had been chucked out. When you can't gather on Sundays like we always had, we've forgotten how to be the church. We only know how to go to church. So mm. wow. when you when we when wow. we walk through deconstruction in this kind of way, and I'll very much say I went through some deconstruction, at least over the last five years, if not the last 15 years, or maybe the process through my whole life, I have had to unpack my beliefs. Why do I really believe what I believe? Why have I been doing my faith and doing church in this way? And honestly, it came back to that I had completely either forgotten or in some cases completely missed that I wasn't supposed to do church. I was supposed to be the church, to be out there, to find other like-minded believers and be the bride of Christ that God always intended instead of trying to do the business of church which is and sadly for people like us like we're administratively gifted we know how to teach we know how to speak we're pretty good at doing the business of church <laughs> we can do fundraising campaigns we can come out with all kinds of strategies for growth and we really thrived in like the mega church movement but now when people don't see value they don't see bigger as better anymore they're looking for something authentic mm. and real and vulnerable and a lot of the church hasn't caught up with that yet and yeah. this is why deconstruction is happening <laughs> this is why yeah. so i mean it really comes down to now like it's happening it's out there and unless we just want to see everybody who wasn't a true believer walk away forever what can we as the church do in response to people who are deconstructing this is the big question we need to be asking hmm. well wow. That's such a that's such a powerful statement when you said um, knowing how to go to church but not knowing how to be the church, and that man mm -hmm. that's that's a big that that blew my mind right there. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think I think a lot of people I think I, I do think that there um, I think that a lot of deconstruction happens um, because of things like you're mentioning where people were disillusioned by something that went on that they. You know, the curtain got pulled back and they realized, oh, this isn't what I ever meant to be a part of. If this is mm -hmm. what Christianity is, if this is what the church does to people, if this is how people are treated, then mm -hmm. this is not something that I that I want to you know be a part of anymore. And a lot of it comes down to not God himself or, or even the Bible itself. A lot of it comes down to the certain tr practices uh, sometimes it's traditions and sometimes it's just things that should never be done or practiced by the church, but they happen and, you know, something gets exposed or whatever. And so people end up having a crisis of faith 
um, and really it had nothing to do with with their faith in 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 terms of it wasn't actually the faith itself. It was men or you know men women doing things that were that were not godly that yeah. you know put a put a bad taste in somebody's mouth and ended up going the wrong way. And uh, man, knowing I, I feel like a lot of times what we what we do in in churches is we we learn how to do the things right like we learn how to go through the motions we learn how to mm -hmm. to memorize and recite the doctrinal statements but we don't know as you said like being the church like we don't know how to serve our communities we don't know how to like 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 live in the in the simplest ways you know like the way that the way that jesus did it the way that jesus walked yeah. this earth and i love something that you mentioned bill johnson i love something that bill johnson says he says jesus is perfect theology and so you talked earlier about the lens by which we view things, the lens by which we view ministry, the lens by which we view scripture, the lens by which we view our faith. And it's like Jesus is that perfect lens. Right. And so when we see Jesus, because Jesus is the perfect representation, the perfect demonstration of the father. And so when we look at Jesus and we can we can filter our understanding through him, I think that that's probably the most healthy way that we can do this because we do have problems with interpretation of scripture and we yeah. do have problems with different things. But when we, when we can view these doctrinal things that we believe and things that we've been taught in our belief systems, and then we can begin to, to view them through the lens of the perfect theology of Jesus, of who he is, the person of Jesus coming in flesh and representing to us, demonstrating who the father is, and so I, I think, again, I think that there's, as you said, and, and you said something to me when we were on the phone the other day, which I thought was a really powerful statement as well. <laughs> you said, uh, you said deconstruction without reconstruction is just, I think you said destruction. Yeah. That, did yeah. I get that right? Yeah. That yeah. came out of a conversation with um, my co-author, Bill Vanderbush. And he, we were talking mm. about deconstruction a couple months back and he's like, yeah, well, the whole point of it is reconstruction. Otherwise, it's just destruction. Brilliant, dude. Yeah. I've been I've been stealing yeah. that one liner everywhere I go. Yeah. <laughs> but, but in the midst of that, I think what you're saying is so on point. When when you get stuck in this, whether you're deconstructing or you're trying to figure out how to love and honestly disciple and do life with someone who is deconstructing, it's like above everything else. Just look to the example of Jesus. When he was walking with people who were just really struggling with their faith, they were either confused or they weren't sure what to believe. He came in and so lovingly invited them back in with grace. He did. The people that he spoke most sternly to were the ones who thought that they had it all figured out, not just the Pharisees and the religious leaders, but also like the dudes following around him around. Like he was pretty, he was pretty harsh on Peter. <laughs> Every now and then he would yeah. be really direct. And for us to learn there's value in actually calibrating that invitation and challenge with people who are walking through some form of deconstruction. Sometimes just showing up and telling people, hey, you're doing it wrong is not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> like That's not helpful. It's not edifying. And if anything, it just makes them feel that you don't get it. You are not trustworthy and you will not be the person they come to for advice. They just won't. And because they wouldn't come to you for advice, they won't receive your your loving rebuke either. So <laughs> figuring out what it looks yeah. like to listen first 
before we just immediately respond or we just immediately assume like, oh my gosh, Michael Gunger doesn't think Noah was real. Like he's not a real Christian mm -hmm. for crying out loud. People. Are we allowed to have out loud thoughts? Are we allowed? Because how many times have you or I or anybody listening to this had a thought in their head that might not have aligned perfectly with scripture? Sure. How, how often has that happened? I mean, I, I, I probably have a thought like that every day, but yes. we do carry, there's a lot more emphasis when you are put into the public eye. And I hate, I hate even like the idea of being a public figure in Christendom because that temptation towards celebrity is just so huge. And it's just so gross and attractive and like, oh, it's just it's so easy to fall into that kind of temptation. But when you are given a public platform, one thing to remember is everything you say out loud, everything you put on your Facebook post, everything you muse in any kind of public setting, it will be heavier critiqued if you have called yourself a teacher, if you have called yourself a leader, if you've, I mean, that is actually scriptural. We're going to be judged sure. a little heavier than the other people. But that said, look at how many leaders are struggling. Look at how many of them have big, big questions about their faith, even if they're not ready to abandon it. Look at all the all the leaders that have been struggling in silence with their mental health, with addiction, with all kinds of bizarre behaviors. And all these big leaders fall over the years because there are no safe spaces for them to come to even one other trusting individual and say, I'm in over my head. I don't know what I think about this. I need some time to process this with the Lord or I need help. People are not just like losing their jobs and falling publicly from grace. Some of them are dying and committing suicide because of unanswered questions that they don't have permission to ask. Struggles that they have no permission to admit that they're not perfect, that they're just human like the rest of us and they're trying to figure it out just like we are. They don't even have permission to pray and reach out like Jesus told us to and say like, ah, oh, I believe, help my unbelief. It's right there in Mark, um, Mark nine, I think, Mark nine, I can't remember the exact verse. I believe, help my unbelief. We do have unbelief. We don't want to, but we know we do. And so walking out this existence, having grace and giving space to people who are asking honest questions by entertaining it, listening to it, not immediately jumping to correction, I believe we have an opportunity to help people come to their own conclusions in the word of God. It's one thing, you know, I have a lot of people who ask me a lot of questions about a lot of issues. And I try not to put myself out there as being like, oh, here's where I stand on this issue, because I just don't think that's that helpful. If anybody corners me, I'll tell you exactly what I believe. <laughs> And I'll tell you that I got there through fear and trembling. And then I always give God permission to change my mind if I've got it wrong. Mm. I have given God full yeah. on permission to tweak my theology if necessary, because my theology, it's still mine. Yes. It's my view of how I see the Lord and the way that I think about him. And if I am not thinking of him correctly, I want him to rock my world on it. I want him to take apart everything I had thought I ever knew and help me rebuild it in its appropriate context. Doing that through the word, revealed by Holy Spirit leading as you're going through it is the best way. That's the only way I've been able to faithfully reconstruct after some seasons of deconstruction. My, my family and I didn't go to church for three years, dude. We didn't go. 
we didn't walk away from our faith. We were doing church in all kinds of fun ways. <laughs> we were meeting online. We were meeting in secret. We were meeting in our living rooms, up in the mountains. Like we were doing all kinds mm. of things for Jesus. But church for a while, because of some of the things that we had walked through from an abuse standpoint and from just a shocking need for deconstruction in our lives, we knew that wasn't where God had us. We knew we needed mm. to take some time away to decompress. And if nothing else, get to a point of healing where we were no longer carrying offense against the bride. We were yeah. so offended with church. We needed to take a minute. It wasn't about not immediately. I mean, we very much wanted to forgive. We very much wanted to move forward, but we needed some time to count the cost of everything that had happened. We needed some time to step away, to really lean into where God was leading us. And we surrendered at one point to saying, you know what, Lord, even if you don't ever lead us back to our church, we're not giving up on you. We're going to stay with you. We will follow you to the end of our days, whatever that means. And just recently, he's brought us back to the little church. <laughs> they are preaching the gospel. And it's so beautiful. The, the tradition, it's, it's, um, it actually comes out of the Church of Christ movement, but they are, it's like a part of a reconstruction movement where they're not full on rejecting denominations completely, but it's so focused on unity that I'm like, oh, this is maybe something to pay attention to even for a season. Yeah. So yeah. for the first time in three years, we're able to go to a church, to a service, to corporate worship, which we've missed and not have actual PTSD symptoms on the way in the door. Hmm. It's a beautiful thing wow. when you go and you actually can sense the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit within a body of believers the moment you walk in the door. And I think sometimes, I think it takes people about 2.5 seconds to know if they belong when they walk into a place, about 2.5 seconds. And typically when we are doing the business of church, we are doing our best, even with our greeters and the people who are kind of eyeing you up and down the minute you walk in the door to say, hmm, do you belong here? Or are there some things that you're going to have to work on with the Lord before you really come to a place of belonging? If Jesus is really telling us, like, we can come as we are, like little children, with all of yes. our questions, with all of our brokenness, just come to him. Those of us who are weary and heavy laden, that we can just come to him. <clears throat> we as the church need to be emulating that exact same kind of environment. When mm. people who do not think like you, act like you, look like you, vote like you, believe like you, when they walk into your church, are you eyeing them up and down to determine whether or not you're gonna say, mm, you know, you might feel a little more comfortable worshiping over at that other church over there. That might be a little more aligned with your belief system. What if people knew they belonged before they even knew what to believe? Yes. That's how Jesus made them feel. Yeah. So it's there there definitely is absolute truth and there's truth that we can deconstruct against and it's the word of God. But in the midst of all of this giving people to ex the opportunity to experience God's love through his people and through the presence of the Holy Spirit in the room. This is something that can't happen if we're giving people so many barriers to entry that say you have to check all these boxes before you belong here. You have to mm. check all these boxes before you can become a member, before you can take communion, before you can do all these things. It's like, just come, just come and we'll receive you like Jesus did. And if we're doing this right church, people won't leave broken. They will leave transformed like after they encounter Jesus. 
It might take more than one Sunday. It might take 10 or 20 years for people to get to the place you think they should be. But valuing that faith journey, whatever point people are on, really valuing it and valuing their intrinsic value as a child of God, whether they know they are or not, this is the opportunity for us amidst this deconstruction movement. We can win people back to Jesus. We can win them back, not in some gross way like we're counting numbers, but by just mm. being his hands and feet and being willing to meet people right where they are and lovingly guide them forward. Whew, absolutely. <laughs> Man. Man, no, it's so good, Britt. And 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 it's uh it's it's a problem. It's a problem when we treat people like they've got to look a certain way or act a certain way or adhere to a certain thing in order for mm -hmm. them to be accepted. And and it's a it's a problem when we treat this whether we're talking about um, a particular church or a denomination or just whatever but when we when we treat people like um, if you're not if if you're not fitting into alignment with all of these things that that we are and we and that we mm -hmm. say that we believe and if you're not thinking the way that we think then this isn't the place for you or you know where you're kind of treated like you you're not really you're not really one of them and mm -hmm. i mean it's it's so i think thinking like that is so anti-christ because i mean G jesus in john 17 you know he's talking to his father and he's talking about how much he desires that we would be one mm -hmm. right and you you talked about unity and you talked about you know, a, a, a deeper form of that even is is union and recognizing that we're united in Christ. And this is kind of a it's it's almost become a dirty word. But like Jesus was so in, inclusive, like when when we when we look at how much he went out of his way to go after people that were supposed to be the ones that were rejected by the traditional religious structure. But then at the same time, when a religious leader came to him and they, they came to him in, in, you know, in sincerity and they weren't there, you know, like prejudging and cursing and rebuking, whatever. But it was like when they came in, in sincerity, he wasn't against those people. He wanted them to come as well. He wanted to show them who who the father really is as well. And but it, it it didn't matter. Like he was eating with tax collectors. He was eating with the people that were considered to be sinners. He wasn't doing this thing where he was, you know, creating a, a a movement that would become a club that would be this thing where it's like we're over here, and if you want to be free from your broken lifestyle, come over here. He was yeah. like, no, we're gonna go where you are, and I, and I think along the way that 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 in many ways we've kind of developed a, a mentality that we're like. I, I don't know. I, I I think about it like this. It's like, like we we want that kind of separation uh, from the world, and okay, mm -hmm. in terms of in terms of our thinking, yeah, but not in terms of our our proximity, and not in terms of our love, and not in terms of the way that we're supposed to serve people, and and so you know, I I just think about it like we've we've kind of 
for for a long time we did this thing where we would kind of get to the outskirts of of the world quote unquote i'm using that word very loosely but we kind of get to the outskirts and from our side of the fence we kind of be yelling over at them like like you're going to hell if you don't get right with god and if you don't do this and you don't do that and you know you got to repent and it's like okay but what are they repenting into like what are they what are they not just what am i repenting from but what am i repenting for and what am i repenting into because mm. if i'm over here and i'm telling you the truth about hell or the truth about where your sin or your lifestyle apart from christ will lead you if i'm doing that like that's good i'm speaking the truth yay for me mm -hmm. i'm speaking the truth but if i'm not inviting you into a, a a lifestyle that i think that that's what jesus did inviting people um to you know lay lay you know lay down their life whatever but to come into something where they were able to come face to face with the goodness of god where they were able to come yeah. face to face with the goodness of the father and mm -hmm. and so it's it's this thing where if we if we treat this like it's us and them and and we're not allowing that that invisible barrier to be destroyed i think we need to fight to destroy that invisible barrier mm -hmm. like i think we need to fight to as the church i think this is a big like an important thing for us today um I don't know that I've ever like even said this out loud before, it's just, but 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 I think that it's an important thing for us today is like to to I, I don't know if I want to use I, I don't have language for this yet, Britt, but I'm just saying like almost like to prove like I think we need to prove to the world that like we're we're actually about them and like their their healing and their freedom and their joy and their peace and them coming face to face with the knowledge of who God is and not just doing away with their filthy lifestyle. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Like, cause I think for yeah. so long, the, the voice of the church and I'm, and again, like the, the church, like I'm saying very, very loosely and obviously not everybody, yeah. not every church, not okay. whatever, but like so often, like the voice of the church for so many years was like, um, was just a anti, culture and anti-society and anti like homosexuality and anti this and anti that and i think the more that we that we're defined by what we're anti like the more that we're defined by the things that we're against the the more we're missing out on the opportunity to actually speak into the lives of the people that are stuck in those you know lifestyles where they do need to be free they do need they do need jesus they do need salvation they need what he came to give them and so that's why like we are we're we're regenerated by the love of God so that we can show people how good he is so that they can come and experience freedom as well. And I just think somewhere along the journey we forget that we weren't always perfect either. Obviously we're still not, but you know what I'm saying like like yeah. that that we had struggles and we had problems and we had issues and we had all these things as well and like I, I I I do think that there's the 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 pendulum, you know, like whenever the pendulum swings so far one direction, it ultimately is going to come back. And I mm -hmm. I just think that as the as the church, as the people of God, like like not your church that you go to, but as the people of God living in the world, like we we need to endeavor to like show people how loving and how compassionate and how faithful our heavenly father is that he did literally everything gave up literally everything so that that person can be free and healed yeah. 
and redeemed and 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 it ha and I I think we have to stop drawing that line and we've got to be willing to 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 cross that line and to be you know again like uh, this this dirty word like inclusive with people but to bring them into the family of God there, there's mm -hmm. this phrase that God gave me just recently as I was kind of like thinking through some of some aspects of my vision and like you know mission and like just like some kind of very personal things that I was just kind of um, looking for language for and and just kind of communing with God over and and uh, and and he gave me this phrase and it's like loving loving the world into the family of God and when we treat people like oh well you can't be part of the family until you do this or till you pray this prayer till you get this right and it's like well as you said the disciples that walked with Jesus they belonged before they even knew what to believe and I just think that uh, again not saying you know like I'm not talking about going down this like crazy rabbit hole where it's like we you know we're we're denying the fact that they need Jesus to be saved or we're denying you know oh, yeah. like like let's let's like just you know grow up Christians but I'm just saying like we we have this this uh I I think we have this responsibility today to kind of endeavor to repair some of that damage that's been done so that people can actually see past the men and women <laughs> of churches and to actually see Jesus for who he yeah. really is. Yeah. I think some of what you're saying, the opportunity we miss as, as leaders within the church or just people that are part of the church, we miss the opportunity for real relationship. If you want to have a hard conversation with somebody about some sort of truth that needs to be unraveled and maybe deconstructed and worked on, there is no way you can have a vulnerable conversation about that with someone outside of the context of authentic relationship. Mm. And so often we come and we think because we are Christians that we have the right to speak into somebody else's life simply because of who we carry. And I want to be really careful not to say you can't be given, given a prophetic word to somebody, not to say that like that can't happen. But generally speaking, even with Jesus, think about him when he was talking with the woman at the well. He had a very long, very in-depth conversation with her where he kind of let her process through her own junk. He you know, certainly told her everything that he already knew about her and all of this kind of thing, but never once did he even say, turn from your evil ways and follow me. She's talking about waiting for the Messiah and he's just like waiting for it, waiting for the dots to connect in her brain to the moment where she's like, mind blown. Oh my gosh, wow. that's him. That's it. He didn't say... Hi there. Nice to meet you. I'm Jesus. I'm the Messiah. You better do everything that I say or you're going to hell. He didn't enter into that conversation like that with her. He was actually interested in her. He was actually interested in her journey. And even in telling her, he knew everything about her, everything she had ever done, including knowing that the husband she, or the man she was shacking up with right now isn't her husband. He didn't say that to her in shame. He didn't even say to her, yeah, you need to either go get married or whatever. He didn't even tell her what to do about that. He was just like, I see you, I know you, everything about you, and I still love you. I'm not leaving. And in fact, the whole rest of culture would have looked at Jesus in that moment and say, why are you a Jew speaking to this Samaritan woman at the well? Yes. What are you yes. doing? She's a woman. She's the wrong religion. She's the wrong culture. Don't do that, Jesus. But he broke all these stigma barriers and went after her. He went after the relationship. He didn't go after a conversion. 
And so, so often with the church, we want to expedite that process, even by the way that we've traditionally evangelized on the streets. It's like, repent, the end is near. It's like, yeah, maybe that's true, but like, you want to back up and like try to meet people where they are for a split second. Do you have time for that? Do you have time instead of immediately pushing someone to say, repent or you're going to hell? If If that's all you can say, I don't think you have right to speak into somebody else's life if you're not willing to get to know them and get to know their situation. Doesn't mean that you don't know what truth is. Doesn't mean that you're not allowed to speak it. It is a a free country. And for the most part, thank you, internet. It's a free world. Say whatever you want, but don't expect to move hearts for Jesus. Don't expect to help participate in the Holy Spirit's work of transforming lives. You're not going to get access to that. You're going to get a whole lot of people that look at you and call you a religious zealot, a bigot, and a jerk, and they're not going to want to come to your church. It's just reality. So thinking about this in the context of relationship, and I I know this can get really tricky because even within the walls of the church, there's still so much division. But here's the pinnacle. Like Here's the thing that I come back to every time, and it's what blows my mind. So... When God created mankind at the beginning of the world, we're talking like Genesis chapters one and two, like when it finally happened with Adam and Eve, he creates man and woman, man and woman in his image. He created us to be image bearers, period, Mm -hmm. image bearers. He didn't create us to be beloved children of God. He didn't create us to be awesome wives or great, you know, dads or pastors or just image bearers. And in that true, authentic, God-given identity, here's the reality of that situation. We will bear the graven image of whatever we are beholding, whatever we are beholding. Yeah, yeah. So we encounter yeah. somebody in the world who was created in the exact same way we were, as image bearers of God. We were created to bear his image, but we like looking around. We're really curious. <laughs> we like to know about the world. And sometimes even when we are when we are looking at something good, we will bear the image of that in a way if we glorify that over God where it will become an idol. It will become a graven image. So these subtleties, these nuances take us away from the reality that we were all created in the same way. We are all unique image bearers and we are all worthy of honor no matter where we are in our journey so if you can be with someone who is wrestling with their faith be with someone even if they're deep in a process of deconstruction that you're like whoa i'm not even sure how to come back from that if we can honor the gold in them show them that we see them we hear them and we love them anyway even if they don't ever check our boxes even if they don't ever choose jesus that doesn't mean that we can't show them his love. Hmm. But in doing so, in doing that authentically, we are walking out the reality of our union. We are only one because of what Christ did. We were created as image bearers, but guess what? We as mankind, we sinned and we were separated from a holy God. He wasn't angry with us and a, a lot of the stuff that happened in Eden was really for our protection, but we were always meant to be one with God. And when Jesus died on the cross, he reconciled us back into right relationship with the Father if we were to choose Jesus, if we choose Jesus, if we just follow him. It doesn't say, like, if you walk out a perfect existence like Jesus did, Mm -hmm. then you'll be one with the Father. We are one with God because we are in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by your good works, 
not by your right theology, not even by where you are in your deconstruction process. So focusing on that oneness, allowing the Holy Spirit to come and work with people as he wants to, that gives us one job. Love the person in front of you. Hmm. That's it. Love the person right in front of you, even the things about them that tweak you, even the things about them that you don't agree with. Find something in them to honor and then ask the Lord, even when you're struggling, what does love look like in this situation? Real love, not my desire to be proven right. What does real love look like? And it almost always looks exactly like Jesus. Mm. (laughs) It looks rebellious. It looks crazy. It looks like some kind of crazy political movement, but it's not. It's just Jesus. It's radical love. Yeah, it's so good. I, you know, I, I love um, Jesus said to his disciples, he, he, he told them they'll, they'll know, <laughs> they'll know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. <laughs> and it's, it's funny to me that he, that when he says that to them, it's like, they probably had no, they, they probably didn't have a, a ton of context for that other right. than seeing him and the way that he, you know, treated people. But I think that they were still very much learning what it meant to to love each other. And we see them, you know, after that statement, kind of making, making mistakes. And we see, we see some fighting, we see some disputing, we see some arguing, we see some different things that happen. And, uh, but it's, it's just, it, it's such uh, just a foundational thing about us, about what we're supposed to look like. They'll know that you're my disciples. You know, he could have said any, you know, he did, he, he could have, but he didn't say, you know, you'll know you're my disciples um, because you, you know, you have all the verses memorized or you'll, they'll know you're my disciples because, you know, you never say these bad words or like, you know what I mean? But it's like, they're, they're going to know that you're my disciples <laughs> by your love for one another. Because your worship is off the hook and I oh, like your yeah, machine yeah. and your pastor has cool skinny yep. jeans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I digress. That's so good. Yeah. No, but that really is that that really is what it what it comes down to. And it's it's expressing that as as real and as authentically as we can. We I mean we're all we're all growing in this and none of us are gonna love love everybody perfectly. Mm-hmm. But it's like like what does that actually look like? And 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 it just it brings me back to like in Philippians chapter two, uh verses four and five, where you know it talks about esteeming others better than yourself. And then it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so it's like, when I, when I distill this thing down, this, I mean, that's how the mind of Christ operates. It thinks about somebody else as more important and more valuable than, you know, even my own needs or my own desires. You know, I can think about somebody else's, I I can think about somebody else as more important than my need to be right, you Mm -hmm. know? And I think we do mm-hmm. this thing a lot where we want so much to be right and to get our point out there and to get our idea across. And our, our mutual friend, Caleb Hires, he says it like this, you know, a lot of, a lot of us, we, we love to speak the truth, but that doesn't mean that we're speaking the truth in love. It's like one thing to love, like I, I love speaking, I love telling people about the truth. And it's like, okay, well, <laughs> are you destroying them in the process because you you love the truth in other you you love the fact that you have the truth and that you you like to be right or you actually like do you do you are you speaking the truth in a way that's actually going to allow you to get to the heart of that person 
because that's what that's what it is to to love somebody. I'm not talking about coddling, you know, I'm not talking about like there there are times where love has to be stronger, it has to be stern, it has to be tough. Like the way that we express and demonstrate love, there's times where it has to be very soothing and there's other times where it has to be intense. And and I think that that comes down to what you were talking about earlier about, you know, being led by the Holy Spirit in this thing. But I do love that you said that there that it's like um our our one real job here <laughs> like if we don't remember anything else our one real job here it's not to transform somebody's heart because we don't have that power but what we can do and what our assignment is is to love people as well as we can the way that the way that god does you know to express the love of the father the, to to the best that we can based on the knowledge that we have of him the revelation that we have of him as we become more transformed by his love the more we'll be able to give that away effectively mm-hmm. um but yeah i just i think Britt, that that's ultimately you know like the foundation of what this looks like in terms of how we express it to others i don't know if we're still talking about deconstruction or not are we <laughs> i think I think if everybody's not going through a little bit of deconstruction somewhere, you're kind of not paying attention. So before we jump to conclusions and like make deconstruction a bad word, like we've made inclusion a bad word for some reason, like let's get back to the root and say, why is it that we think that this is bad? And instead, what if we said, I love God so much and I want to know the truth of his character so much that I'm willing to surrender everything I think I know about him Mm. in order to get to the real him. Because I want him. I don't want my version of him. I don't want the church's version of him. I want the real God. I want the real deal. And if I need a minute to get there, if it takes me some time, if it takes me some unpacking, and if I have to occasionally walk through seasons of wrestling with the answers I don't have yet, I think God is so patient. And I think he delights in his people earnestly getting to know him better so if there are things you're struggling with or if like this deconstruction thing is something that you either are going through right now or if you've considered but don't feel like you have permission to jump in just keep your eyes focused on jesus Mm -hmm. as an image bearer if you keep your eyes on him wherever you go you will look and act like he does because like a mirror you will bear his image so staying focused on him, honestly, the rest of it melts away. The rest of it becomes not unimportant, but by comparison, inconsequential. It doesn't really matter. My dad used to call yeah. us when I was growing up. He'd say, yeah, we got to be careful not to major in the minors when it comes to yes. our faith. Are we yes. really going to have straight up division about things that don't really matter in the context of eternity? I hope not. It's like carpet mm-hmm. and <laughs> things like this. So staying yeah. focused eyes square on Jesus the whole time, you can you can deconstruct very safely and you will likely reconstruct and find yourself stronger in your faith than you ever mm-hmm. have been before. Duke, I'm 42 years old. I've been a Christian since I was about three. And I will tell you right now, I think I am in my spiritual infancy. I, I know more about God and about his true character now than I mm-hmm. ever have before. And I've realized I am just scratching the surface of how good he really is it's so cool and i don't look at that and say like i'm unqualified because i don't know (laughs) everything there is to know about god guess what none of us do (laughs) it's so funny brit how we 
how we can go through a whole life. We can go through like so many years of, of knowing God and studying about him and learning about him. And we can go through all of it. And then it like takes us all that time just to get to this point where like we're understanding what we probably should have understood from the very beginning. Like the simple truths, the basic truths about uh, about him, about his love, about how much he like, like the simple things that I think a lot of times we, we do, we major in the minors, you know, I think we focus so much on these other things. And it's like, I mean, if you just spend a moment uh, of just of, of revelation of his love, like that can do so much more than, you know, 40 years of learning or like studying and memorizing, like those things are great. Like, I mean, like, and I, I'm, I'm all for that. I'm all for reading books and, and obviously reading the word and going to church and listening to sermons and podcasts and, you know, especially this one, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm all for, I'm all for these, these, these things, but um, you know, it's just, it's, it's interesting how I think that um, we can, like when we feel like it's we've got to jump through all these hoops and we jump through hoops for a long time. When you when you start waking up to the to the fact that like this is God's never asked me to jump through a single hoop. Like he did everything for me to bring me into the revelation of his love and his kindness and his goodness. He did it all for me. And that right there, like that's a that's a that's a revelation that's going to be unfolding for the rest of our lives. And I think the rest of eternity, that's like just discovering more and more how deep that goes. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of times we we hold on to things and we 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 fight for things that are really not the things that we need to be fighting for and, you know, kind of it's it's just i think so often it's the it's the the simple things the simple truth the simple revelation of just how good he is and how loving he is and how faithful he is and how real he is that uh, are ultimately the most important things it's like the things that we we learned in song like that we sang in songs when we were in sunday school for anybody that like grew up that way like the simple things about like trust and obey you know <laughs> like these simple things that are like 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 we 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 like okay yeah but 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 how do i like what's what's the what's the next thing you know like like i like i get that i'm supposed to trust and obey i get i'm supposed to worship him i get i'm supposed to you know i i know that he loves me i get these things but like like i need something more complicated and it's like well, well, well no ultimately you don't ultimately you don't like what what we what we need to do is spend the rest of our lives contemplating these simple truths because they're just going to keep unfolding and expanding and just enlarging our perception of who God is. And the more that the, 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 you know, the more that the, our understanding and perception and revelation of who God is, the more that that Mm -hmm. grows in us, the more again, that we'll have to tell others and to invite them into something. And so again, I mean, like I, I'm, I'm all for the, the study and, and learning the more complicated aspects of, of our faith and stuff like that. I just think the mm-hmm. most important aspects of our faith are the stuff that are really, really simple. Yeah, and it all stems back to relationship. It's what we were created for. We were created for a relationship with him and outside of the context of relationship, you can know everything there is to know about God, but you might not know him at all. Yeah. And I think that's, 
that's the invitation that exists for us just to get to know him more and all these other things, the answers we're seeking, like all this stuff's going to be added unto you, but the answers aren't really even as important as just being with him. Mm. And that only comes in relationship. You can memorize the whole Bible and not really know God. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Good. Well, Britt, I have, I have one more thing to say, and then I'll uh, I'll pass it back to you, and, and we'll wrap it up. But um, I do just want to say for anybody that is, you know, in that place or has been in that place or whatever, where you are maybe deconstructing something, whether you know, just kind of questioning some things, maybe that you've learned or that you've been taught or whatever. Um, there's like there's zero shame. Um, there's zero shame in that. And don't let, I would just say, like, don't let anybody put any kind of shame on you for that. And don't think that because you might be questioning something, it means that you're not part of the club anymore. And like, you've got to like do it outside of, of, of a church or outside of community or outside of relationship and and the family of God, because you don't, um, I hope, I hope that where you are, if you're in a, you know, church somewhere, like, I, I hope that you have, um, you know, some community there where you're able to like, maybe talk to somebody, talk to a friend or um, a leader, maybe, or, you know, somebody that you can ask some difficult questions to, or just kind of bounce some questions off of or ideas. And maybe somebody that could help to walk through that processing process with you. Um, I know that not everybody necessarily has that automatically, but uh, I I hope that you do. If you do, I mean, use it, but don't feel like you've got to abandon something because you're, not a hundred percent certain, or you don't feel like you're a hundred percent solid or convinced of something right now. It's safer to, to go through that processing and, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, well, obviously I could use the word deconstruction, but, but I was looking for a different (laughs) word. Um, that kind of like unpacking of your beliefs and things that you've maybe grown up on or that you've been taught or that you've, uh, you know, believed or thought you believed as you're going through that process, this it's safer to do that in community. It's safer to do that with the body than out there on your own by yourself. So, uh, but sometimes, you know, shame or fear of, you know, talking or fear of being honest or vulnerable can, you know, cause people to, to leave or to separate themselves. Don't separate yourself. Again, if you have that community where you can be open and honest with somebody, seek that out because it's always going to be more helpful, but whatever situation you're in, there's no shame in you having questions and it doesn't do you or anybody else any good. It doesn't do any of us any good to pretend that we don't have these questions and to just kind of white knuckle our way through and just like, I, I, you know, I'm strong as ever in my faith. Like, no, like keep like, you you need to ask those questions and you need to, whether you get all the answers you're looking for or not, like, uh, you know, it's important for, for, for many, many people to go through that process and to be, you know, open and honest about the fact that you do have some of those questions. So anyway, um, yeah, Britt, any uh, final uh, thoughts on anything? Just feel encouragement and love wherever you are in processing with your faith, wherever you are with the Lord, if you're feeling like everything's awesome or you still have big questions, things you're going through, take these advice 
find your community, find your people. If you don't have people yet, start with a counselor, a spiritual director, like anyone who can just sit one-on-one with you and allow you to process through some of this in a safe place. You'll find when you're courageous and you go after God, and when we deconstruct, we really are going after the pure gospel. We're going after the real God, not the one that's been presented to us. When you go through this, you can expect some warfare. You can expect it to get really awkward in circles where people have expected you to act or think in a certain way and you don't show up in the same way. There needs to be grace for you in that. You need to be praying daily for grace uh, that offense won't rise up in you, that you will not be tempted by a spirit of division in the midst of all of this. The, The whole idea that we could ever be X anything is terrifying to me. So we want to focus on that concept of union. We need to be looking for what unites us, not what divides us. But in the meantime, we also need to start being really honest and standing up for some of the things that are keeping people marginalized, abused, and discriminated against within the church. We need to be really open to the change that God is wanting to bring in and through his bride. I believe when we stay really open to those kinds of things and we engage in courageous and brave conversations about them i think this is where the real piece of reform starts to come back in and this is what do reformers do we're always reforming keep reforming keep getting back to that place of ultimate clarity that represents the simple gospel for what it is that's it thank you Britt. it's always uh just just always a pleasure and an honor to to have these conversations with you, I appreciate your insights, and uh, I, I appreciate how you you speak out of that place of of relationship that you have with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I just, uh, yeah, appreciate your friendship and and for just uh, all the the insights and the wisdom that you share. So thanks for joining me. Oh man, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for creating a safe space for this conversation. That was important. <laughs> And everybody, uh, don't forget, if you haven't done so already, uh, check out the, uh, the Uncovery. So remember, uh, rem- remind us, Britt, where, uh, where we can go to find the Uncovery book. Yeah, so uh, you can find the book right now. It's for sale on Amazon.com, The Uncovery. It's a book by George A. Wood and myself, Britt Eaton. Um, you can also find out more about me and about my ministry at BrittEaton.com um, or TheUncoveryBook.com. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm again I'm such a big fan, and we've uh, I mention it every time you come on because I want everybody to get it. I think it's it's like one of the most important books I've ever read, and I think that everybody um, needs it. And but also, Britt, like you have other like we've always talked about the uncovery, but you have other other stuff, <laughs> other resources. Uh, I know you have the the um, reckless grace that you co-authored mm-hmm. with uh, with mm-hmm. Bill Vanderbush, who you mentioned earlier. And uh, where, so where, just uh, where can people go in general to just kind of find you and, and your resources? Yeah. So anything that I'm doing related to writing, speaking, and discipling, you can find that at BrittEaton.com. You'll have access to books, courses, resources, as well as consulting services and coaching opportunities as well. So go find me at BrittEaton.com, just one T. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. We appreciate you guys very, very much. And uh, if uh, this conversation blessed you, encouraged you, challenged you, anything like that, uh, please consider leaving a uh, comment or a review. That would be amazing. And uh, see you next time.